0: So, today's class is Membet. We pick up at the last line of Ramallah from a and we are, after a difficult or challenging section on Shemitah, we're now back to the basic mitzvah, um, and we have learned that it's a seven day mitzvah in the mikdash in one day. Outside of the base of Mikdash, which the actually chose not to explore here, it's going to explore later. And then the issue about, um, that he would even be done on Shabbos, if the first day Yantar fell out on Shabbos, and everybody brought their love into the base of Mikdash, um, and, uh, excuse me, Beit HaKnet, we'll get to the base of later, um, and the issue that you need to own it um and so on around uh the issue um of, of ownership. Actually um we are we are quite ahead. We're on Nenbedimidalis um I'm my mistake, we're Nenbethamadalith as a Mishnah, so we're actually um a a good deal ahead. Let's take a look now um so then the last thing we did after that issue about, uh, about what do you call it, about uh, ownership was the issue of um, uh, that if you're uh, do in the process of doing a mitzvah and accidentally violate Shabbos as a result, the position of Reb Yossi that you're exempt from a korban, and then the question about what even if he, if, if that's true, even if in the process you did not actually perform the mitzvah, like the case about bringing an animal that couldn't be used for a korban, and so on. Now we took up at the Mishnah where we, uh, somewhat, uh, stay on the Shabbos theme. Let's take a look. Uhm, and we wrap up this parak and begin the next one. So, Milo of Mimbena Mirala. Uhm, Ishamia Isha Miyad A woman can take the uh, lulav. From her husband and her son's hand, so clearly, just in terms of the context, suggests the idea that women would not take the lulav of an esra. We know they're not obligated, but you know, certainly in Ashkenazi circles, the practice is, well, some do, some don't. But anyway, it's 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 some it's it's you know common enough for women to do it. The Mishnah suggests it would only be, of course, the males in practice who would do it. Um, they would give over their lulavim after taking it to. Or the men to their wives or the sons to their mothers. Umachdi Russell, And she can put it back into water on Shabbos because you'd be keeping it in water in order to keep it fresh. Um, this is not something that's actually growing from the ground where there's a problem about watering it. So you're actually allowed to uh, put it into like a, uh, you know, a, um, a picture of uh, a container of water. Um Rabbi Yehuda Omer, uh um, Yehuda says, On Shabbos you can return back into water it was already in. The Yom Tov Masifin. In Yontiv you can even add fresh water. Um Machalifin and on Kholmoe you can even um, actually exchange the water. Um, so, so even goes so far as it says mitzvah I guess the mitzvah is in order to keep the Lula fresh um, now exactly what the problem is is not really spelled out in the Mishnah Rashi basically just says that it's kircha because again it's not a problem of watering it was a problem of watering you couldn't even put it in uh, even in the existing water but the question is how much kircha do we allow um, on Shabbos exactly what the kircha is I mean okay you know For us, what's the big Tircha? You go and you fill it up from the sink. But I guess if you're drawing water, it's a bigger sense of a tirchah. just involving yourself um, in this whole sort of process. But again, not exactly clear what the uh, degree of the problem is. And again, interesting that Sigmar is going to completely skip over that part of the Mishnah. And it's going to hone in on the last line of the Mishnah, which is... once a miner knows how to shake the lulav that's when he becomes obligated um, in the lulav so this becomes meaning it's a rabbinic obligation of chinuch and as we're going to see in the Gemara, generally the idea of Khinuch is from the, um, when the child is able to do the act of the mitzvah. So the fact that the Mishnah phrases it in terms of when he's able to shake the lulav as opposed to when he's able to hold the lulav, shows again the centrality of the even if you don't shake it, you're yotzeh, but again shows the centrality of the shaking to the act of the mitzvah. I'll remind you that Tuzlitz pointed out that it doesn't say that he has to be able to say hallel. So Tuzlitz from there wanted to infer that the saying of the shaking of Uluv during Halel was not so central um, that I'm not so sure of he could be at the shul when everybody else was saying Halel oh, and, and, and what and not but anyway certainly you see the centrality of the shaking let's take a look at the Gemara says uh, um obviously if can, the woman can take it from her husband again skipping over whatever it's telling me about the different Shabbos halachas um, focusing just on the idea that the woman is taking it so isn't that obvious I might have thought that since a woman isn't obligated to take the lula, so maybe she shouldn't be able to take the lula because maybe it's mukhtza, it's just a stick as far as she's concerned. Kamash Milan, that she is able to take it. Why? so Rashi says she's able to take it because um, it's not a stick for her husband. For her husband, it's a mitzvah object, so therefore it does not have a status of mukhtza. Now, again, for us, that women can take it and make a bracha and so on um, obviously it wouldn't be considered a stick vis-a-vis women either because it would be a mitzvah object for them as well but if the practice is that women it would not be seen as a mitzvah for women a woman wouldn't take it so the only reason it's not muktzah is because it's not muktzah for the husband it does raise interesting questions about, you know, what are the status of these things, like a lulav on uh, Shabbos, Yantiv or even... Well, not Shabbos, let's talk about just a, a lulav on Yantiv or a shofar on Yontiv, if you've already been Yosei the Mitzvah. You have a similar mission about children who are blowing the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, you know, and you allow them to sort of... You know, you allow them to blow the shofar, um, and so on. Um, what if, you know, they're not really doing the Mitzvah? Do you then is blowing the shofar... You can't usually play musical instruments on Yantiv. Is blowing the shofar not in the context of a mitzvah prohibited um, on Rosh Hashanah? Or um, the An Rosh Hashanah itself, it's completely like out of that category of being a muxa object, or out of that category, you know, of being, um, of being like a musical instrument. How do you conceptualize it? Right. Right, right. In exactly. So I... Exactly. So that's just the point I raise here, a similar issue. Is this mu- fundamentally a muktza issue or not? Does it get like it's a, an exclusion to that category because it is the mitzvah object for the day? You don't have to say that here again because, you know says um, It's not a mitzv- it's, it's at least a mitzvah object for men. But it's interesting thinking of the parallel between this and a similar discussion by shofar. Can you just fool around and blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, um, or is it no? When it's not being used for the mitzvah, then it is a problem of let's say a musical instrument or something of that nature. Okay, let's take a look now. Yes. This
1: includes
0: the species in the Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's not limited to lulav. It means lulav and everything that's a part of it. Okay, so you saw that also before, right? It says that everybody would take their lulavs and bring it to the show. I mean, it actually means their lulav and hazat and a rava and the esrog, right? Because everything had to be brought to the show from beforehand. So now the word says the following, Once HaYodeo one to minor knows how to shake it, blue Lulav, um, so, so now we're going to have a that lists all the different sort of things that a minor once he's able to do them becomes obligated rabbinically or you know, we're obligated for him to train him in that mitzvah so and this is, in, is insignificant in talking in as I said indicating what is a central act for that mitzvah so once he knows how to wave he is obligated or we're obligated to teach him um, in the luvah. um um he tape once he's able to wrap himself in a garment um, he's obligated in titsit. that's interesting right because I mean that's the bracha we make on a that, that you would think that the mitzvah is just to have the titsit on but again according to actually a number of to um and shown him you're only obligated biblically in the mitzvah on a garment that actually is a bar etuf something that you wrap around yourself and wrap around your head and so on um, so that's uh, again the centrality of etuf is indicated here um, we Shmur tfilin, now, once he's able to observe his triline, what does it mean observe it? So Raji says it means that um, not to go into a bathroom with it, although the bigger challenge is um, in the Gemara, and I guess as we know from some recent issues, is the issue about passing of gas. That tends to be a more, a, a, a more challenging concern. So if he's able to do that, to wear his triline while keeping his body in the right sort of state, then his father purchases, um, for him Twilin. Now, um, it's again, not that the idea of being with Shomer Gufo is a central part to the mitzvah. This is actually a little different than the previous ones because the previous ones were actually being able to do the act. Here was sort of being, you know, the active children he might be able to do at a younger age, but you're not going to go ahead and start training him in Twilin if he's not able to, Preserve its sanctity. So this is not like the others, but this is a prerequisite for doing it. Is making sure that he is able to preserve his, san- his san- the sanctity. Now, um, if you didn't, by the way, you might notice a difference that by the tzitzit it says and here it doesn't say chayav He says aviz tifilin. Purchased feeling for him. So, if you look at the side at the uh, on the left-hand margin, it has a note of that difference. It says except, I guess, on the first day of Yontem. But the idea is, is that by Tzitzit and, and, and Lulav, you might, it's not so much about purchasing it, you might have an extra Lulav on the house, or you can borrow the father's Lulav, or by Titsis you can put on, you know, well, actually, there's an issue about ownership by Tzitzit. But anyway, the garment, which is fundamental, is, you know, is the real central object you already have. Um, but whereas here, the whole object has to be purchased initially, the buying of the Tzitzit, and therefore, it is Lotech lo Tzitzit. That, by the way, of all these things because of this issue about uh, Shomer Kufo is why we do not start training kids to put on tefillin until very soon before their Bar Mitzvah. Right? You start training kids to put on tefillin like often they do at three years old. Um, but they don't start, um, and rule of a natural also at a younger age. But still you really wait till right before the Bar Mitzvah because of this concern of being able to make sure you are not passing gas while you are wearing it. So that is obviously clearly the uh, central concern in this right though. Yoday um, Lidabea it's a little bit funny here in terms of the order in which this is going, because one assumes that Yoder Le comes before any of this stuff. Yoder a Aviv Lomdo Torah. Once he knows how to speak, his father has to start teaching him Torah. It also might be different, because teaching him Torah is not necessarily a mitzvah chinuch. It might be the father's mitzvah of teaching his children Torah, but she not them live Okay? <laughs> Ve'kriyach Shema. And begin training him in the mitzvah of Kriyach which clearly is the son's mitzvah. Oh, so, ma-hi, Torah Mahi, what is the mitzvah of Torah that the father trains him with? So, Amnuna, Torah Tivolanu Moshe, Morasha Kilat Yaakov. So that's very beautiful if you think about that that is the first line of Torah that is taught, which is the idea that, um, you know, that A, the Torah comes from God, you know, through Moshe, but it's not even mentioning God, it's mentioning Moshe and a Morasha, a sense of beque- a, a bequest, an inheritance right, so the sense of mesorah and tradition, and here you have one generation teaching the next, the father teaching the child, and the very first thing you teach it is the nature to which Torah is, you know, actually this handed-down tradition, which is then being sort of continued through this teaching. So I just find that very powerful, but that is the first thing. Now, it's interesting to note, you know, even, it doesn't even mention, by the way, that it comes from God, Torah Tzivalanu Moshe, um, but so again the power of sort of the role that you're playing in the tradition and handing it down um, is very central in that teaching now it's actually interesting in the Rambam because I'm just pulling this up here um, the way the Rambam brings down what the first thing is the Rambam very much very characteristically um, hold on let me just pick up the Rambam
1: mm.
0: Um, okay. So um, and then Kriyasma we'll read another line. Kriyashima Mahi, what's Kriyashima? What what training does he begin doing? Plus the Kriya, the first burst, right? or So that's training him in the mitzvah of um of Talmud Torah and in the mitzvah of Kriyasma. Now the Rambam, when he brings it down, says you could say he's just quoting the Gemara, but I think he's doing something a little bit different. The Rambam says like this when he talks about the mitzvot of Torah. Um, <laughs> So what the Rambam does is he folds in the Shema Yisrael not into the Mitzvah of Chinuch of Kriya but into the Mitzvah of Talmud Torah um, and I right you hear I mean he just said our father teaches in Torah which is Shema Yisrael and then he keeps on teaching more and more and more etc so I think the Rambam anyway just goes according to his general approach, where for the Rambam, um, you see the Rambam bringing in the sort of centrality of uh, dogma and faith issues um, in many circumstances where the Gemara doesn't have it. So for example, the Gemara says, what is it that you teach a prospective convert? The Gemara says you teach him um, the uh, light mitzvahs, the heavy mitzvahs, only discusses mitzvahs. The, uh, the Rabbam when he reframes it, says, What do you teach his prospective converts? You teach him about belief in God and the prohibition of idolatry, and you spend a lot of time talking about that. And yeah, you also teach him a little bit about the mitzvahs, but don't spend too much time on that. So it's quite interesting that I think that the Ramam does the same thing here. That although the Gemara is talking about chinoch for two mitzvahs, Torah and Shema, the Ramam says, If you start teaching him Torah, sure, you say, Sivalon, and Moshe, but you also say, Shema Yisrael, like before you know, the basic first thing you start teaching him, even in the context of teaching him, like Torah, which is Torah, you know, like knowledge of the religion is the Shema Yisrael HaShem HaKinu so I think the Rambam is folding them in together, because he doesn't want to see that just as a mitzvah of Shema but as sort of, you can't start the teaching without bringing God into the equation. Um, okay, now back to the Gemara. Hayodel Lishmur Gufo, once a miner knows how to, uh, observe, protect his, guard his body, this is not like by the in terms of passing gas, this is in terms of encountering, uh, things that are tame and not, uh, touching tame things, <coughs> then, ohhin al-Gufo taharot. Then, you can, if his body touched things that are tahor, you can nevertheless go ahead and eat it because you can actually trust him to be good and careful at doing that. So that's actually quite fascinating. It's one thing to say, as a minor, we will, you're of the age, we can start training you. Even as saying, we believe you're good enough at guarding at, at, at not passing gas that we'll start having you put on filling. It's another thing to say, you know, whoa before I eat any of the stuff you've touched, you know, I've got to be 100% sure. Like, I'm not going to trust you. You're just a kid. So what's actually quite fascinating is, no, once he gets to the age where he really can be trusted in that, then even if he winds up touching your tahor Truma, you can go ahead and eat it. You can trust him. He does not have to be an adult. Um, of course, how, what, what exactly you define as the threshold for saying he's able to be Shomer Gufo is not spelled out. But once he reaches that, even without an adult, you can eat Truma and tahor things that he has touched et yadav. Now, it's one thing to watch that your body doesn't encounter Tuma. Hands are considered to be like, you don't pay attention to where your hands are and what things they're touching, and that's a higher level to say that you even can guard what your, what your, you know, where your hands are going. But once he's at the level that he can protect and wa- watch where his hands are touching, then ochlin al yadav tarot. Even if his hands touch tahor things, then you can trust it. If he's at that, and eat them, if he's at that level that he can watch his hands. Um, if you can ask him if he's aware enough that you can ask him hey there was some truma here in the middle of the street did you see if anything touched it and if he's able to actually give an intelligent answer and will be able to sort of accurately pay attention to those things and respond appropriately then if he says something did touch it uh, something tame then it's tame if he said nothing touched it it's tahor let's say he says I'm not sure you know I was here I was seeing it I don't know so then the halacha is, there's a general principle by Tum and Tahara that if there's a doubt in Rishut HaRabim whether something touched, you know, thinks touched something tahor, we say that in a doubt, sveiko tahor, if there's a doubt in Rishut HaYachid, then we say sveiko tameh, if you're not certain, you assume it's tameh. So if he's of the age where he could give a, a, a yes or a no answer, and he says, he says, I don't know, then you apply the general rule of doubts are tameh in Rishut HaYachid, are Tameh in Rishut HaRabim. Of course, the question is, then what, what difference does it make? Uh, you know what difference does it make how old he is and what he's able to do? I Once he says I don't know, so you go by the general rule. I don't know. And Rishus Harabin is tame, uh, is tahor, and Rishus Hayachid is Tameh. What do you mean? Once he's able to be asked, then here's what you do if he doesn't know. So the actual interesting halacha is it does matter because if somebody is so young that they cannot give a reasonable answer to the question, then even in Rishus Hayachid a doubt is tahor. The rule that in Rashid Hayachid a doubt is tamei. It's only if there's somebody who should know, who should be able to know and doesn't know. Now, that sounds a little bit bizarre, but let me tell you where we learn out this principle from. Where do we learn out this principle that a doubtful Tuma rishis Yachid is Tameh? Well, we learn it out from another area that is labeled Tuma, but it's really not about the same type of Tuma. It's about a woman who is suspected of committing adultery. And the point is that the woman goes in private with a man and her husband has already warned her I don't want to see you in private with this man and anyway, she goes in private with the man and then the question is what is her status? She now has a doubtful status about whether she's committed adultery. So if she went in private, a yahid, then she's forbidden to her husband until you do the whole Sota ritual. If she wasn't, it was a public, which is a rabbin, she's not forbidden. So from there we learn this principle that doubtful tumah, then we abstract it to a completely different world, but it has the same label as tumah is tame and Mishut HaYachid. But here's the logic. The reason that, you know, the doubt is there is because there was somebody there, meaning, meaning part of the problem of the rashid ha'yachid. and the reason she doubts for well, one, it was the opportunity to sin, right? They were in private. But the other point is, is that, like, people have that information and aren't sharing it. Like, she knows what happened. The man knows what happens, or maybe they are saying it but we don't believe them. So part of the idea that doubtful Tuman Rashusa is tame is because there's a sense like like we we that there's information to be had that's not forthcoming and the fact that we say that she's forbidden, this is like the Halakha Sota, the idea behind it is hopefully that creates a, a like a type of a, uh, a pressure, you know, that's a, a, you know, a motive to actually come forth and Produce the evidence. So that seems to be why the idea is limited to a case where it's a Rashidun Yahid where somebody in theory could know. So therefore you say, tame, right, you understand how that sort of parallels the Sota case. We're going to give you a very, you know, sort of, uh, um, strict status until we find out the information that we think is accessible to us because in Rosh Hashanah because there were people there who could know and we want to get a hold of the information so same type of an idea here it's, if it's, an, it's in Rosh Hashanah it's forbidden it's Tameh if in theory that knowledge was knowable somebody was there who could in theory have known about it whereas if the knowledge wasn't knowable there was nobody there or the only person there was a person that was so young they were ignorant and would not be able to give a reasonable response then we would actually not say Tameh then we would actually just go by the normal halacha that it's, that, or the halacha that is Tasek is tahor. so therefore it matters that this kid only once he's at the, at the age where he could in theory give a good answer do we say that a doubt in the Yahid is Tameh okay so now we continue Hayodair we throws Kapav, once he knows how to duch how to spread literally spread out his hands if he's a Khawain, Chokim Lotuma Bivesa Granot. You can actually give him truma at the granary meaning he shows up to my threshing floor and here he is he's a kohain. He's, he's a minor okay he's ten years old but he, he in show when it's time for duchening, he does the duchening so therefore I can now give him grain at the you know in my in my granary if however he doesn't ducan in public then even though he's a kohain he's a and he can maybe make sure he doesn't eat at the tuma because maybe he's of the age that he protects thema I don't give him the truma in public at my Threshing, at the threshing floor I can send it to his house he can eat it in his house but I don't give it to him in public what's the difference either way we're trusting him to eat the truma and eat it properly the difference is is that in one case he already is publicly recognized as a kohen he gets up and he does the duchening. and also we have to understand that they were not doing the duchening just on you know the Yomitogin. they were doing it every day like the Sephardim which is what the Gemara said. So here he is, he duchuns every day in, the, in, in public, people know he's a Kohen. So there's no problem with me therefore giving him the Truman public um, as long as, again, he can make sure to eat it in the right way. But if he's not publicly acknowledged as a Kohane yet, and I'm giving it to him, then that will be very confusing for the community and confusing for him or whatever. Here, I'm people will think I gave it to him and they won't realize he's a Kohane. So once, only once he's doing it in public can I then go ahead and um, give him give him the grain in public as well. You'll realize by. the end of this list has nothing to do with Khinuch. The beginning was about Khinuch, but now we're also dealing with, like, you know, with other aspects. I mean, Tefillin was an interesting crossover. On the one hand, he would be able to do it earlier, but on the other hand, we don't trust him to do it until he gets to a later age. And a lot of these things here also have to do with questions about trust and knowledge you know, in general status in halachic areas, ritual halachic areas, not really about chinuch, uh, not at all limited to questions about mitzvos and chinuch. Do you have a question? Yeah, I
1: do. the concept of machshava is learned about It's learned from mater a Makshava apply also if just the Stan Israel that wants to, uh, you know. Um, give a
0: portion of his truma like he can do with al Machshava also? Yeah, he's mafish his truma tru- by, by Machshava Ba'alma but that's, yeah, but I, that's, I, I mean, it comes up I mean, in other places and gives right. him what but I yes. Just to yeah, that point. Yeah, I mean, look, it's always a question in the Rishonim when the Gemara says Machshava if it means articulated or unart- unarticulated Machshava. Right. Okay, Thanks. anyway, so now the Gemara says like this, Hayodei Elishcho, top of Membet, Amitbet, once he knows how to slaughter, <coughs> you can eat, eat his sheshita. Um, That's only if he's being observed at the time to make sure he doesn't make a mistake. Now this is an interesting question what HaYodea Lishchot means. Rashi says, if you look at Rashi, HaYodea Lishchot, he knows how to basically. He knows the physical skill of shechting. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to have a test. Have a test on knowledge of laws of shechita, right? But a theoretical is not enough. Is not is not sufficient. But not only is it not sufficient, it's also not necessary. You can observe and watch to make sure that the laws were followed, but you have to make, but what he needs to do is he has to have actually the actual physical skill, okay? So that's what the next Rashi says, You're observing to make sure the laws are followed, okay? Now you could have said the opposite. You could have said maybe he he needs to know the laws because maybe there are things that are not observable, and in terms of the physical ability to do it, that you can observe. Right? Why is it that Rashi assumes that the things that are observable to you are the following of the laws, but the things that you can't aren't necessarily observable, or that you can't trust your observation is his actual physical skill? Tosos points out this question. If you look at Tosos, how you're first just says, shkita, baki shkita, He's first just calling Rashi. rashi might sounds from Rashi in a new if he's uh, you know if he does not have the physical skill to to, to train and to guide his hands vishrita apaki shara o wa al gadamit and even if he was fully observed, because you know, maybe there are things you missed. Maybe he like, tre- trembles for a second. Or maybe there's just a concern that it'll lead to too many traits for us and it'll be a waste of meat. But Rashi, but again, there's an interesting question. Which part are you supplementing by your observation? Right? So according to Rashi, just spelling out what's implicit in Rashi, that your observation cannot, cannot, is not sufficient if he does not actually know physically how to do it well okay Once, if he has the physical skill then you can supplement through your observation to make sure that the laws were followed again you could have said you needed to observe both or you could have said that you know anyway you could have done, said the exact reverse but that's the way Rashi is explaining this is it tomorrow a chino question. This, is another this is not a Chino question I this think. is like the issue about can I trust you that you were Tahor when this you touched thing. my grain it's, you're, not being, you're not being you're not being in some mitzvah that he has to be doing when he's an adult yep. it's not about training him to be a responsible Jewish adult it's about trusting him to, uh, to act properly within certain halachic areas
1: what I, what I meant by that I, I understand what you're saying what I, what I meant to suggest by that is that um, um, the criteria for becoming kind in of these other mitzvot was the developmental capability of physically oh, yeah. doing the action right as opposed to a theoretical understanding of the reasons of the action. That is true. There's an emphasis on the behavioral... That is true.
0: That's a good point. All of these things are not about sort of theoretical knowledge. They're about sort of... I mean, some of them do require a certain amount of theoretical knowledge, like to watch yourself not to become Tame means you have some awareness of what are Tame things that are out there. Right. But you are correct that the common denominator here is not about having some... Right, some information in your head but being being able to have a certain ability physically to do certain things or an awareness of certain things that is true
1: the information then is that to learn Torah requires you to ask questions um
0: because why because it doesn't say as soon as you can hear it says as soon as you can speak um well okay but um that's an interesting point that... Um, I
1: understand about the shmai.
0: Right, I'm not yeah, sure that I would say questions. It might have the idea of, like, articulated Torah, that learning Torah is also saying Torah. Um, there is an interesting debate, like, do you make Birchash Torah before you think Torah, or only after you, or only before you say it? Now, part of that has to do with the question of the nature of Birchash Torah. Like, it might not be enough to do, the, to do a mitzvah of Talmud Torah. But, so you actually need a thing to relate to, so you need some something sort of materialized but um, it's a good point I would not have identified the speaking as as because you want him to be asking I think the ability to ask questions I mean, it's true. Kids ask questions basically as soon as they begin to speak. So they're not really at separate stages. But I was assuming it was more about the, the idea of, of saying it out loud, like, the next stage is, right? So that was more my assumption. But it's, a, it's an interesting thought about that. Okay, so the verse says like this. We just did that. Back to the bright. The Yeholecho Sagan. Once he can eat a Kizayas of grain, like any of the grain products, um, you have to distance yourself if you're like going to Davin or so on or say Shema from his excrement and from his urine because that's when it starts being smelly. This actually is a very relevant halacha. When kids are still very young and they're still just nursing from their parents, you know, they've dirty diaper or whatever, you don't really have to be in the, a different room when you're davening because the excrement only gets smelly once they start eating like, you know, cereal, ba- cereal and baby, right. Even the baby formula isn't yet cereal, isn't yet correct. Rain. Um, okay. Uh, interesting that it also applies to the urine and not just to the and not just to the uh, to the excrement. Um, okay. Um, that's, now we're getting very formalistic about it. It's not enough that he's able to eat grain products, but he can eat a kezayis in the time it takes to eat You know, which is the normal definition of an act of eating. Why being able to do what talachically is called an act of eating um, in order to say that the excrement is smelly and problematic is not so clear. Um, but anyway... Um, and here then comes the irony by an adult even if he, like maybe he's very old and he, can, and he, can't, he, can, he can't eat so much, you know, he, he's obviously eating grain, but only over a longer period of time will he be able to get down into Zayas. It's still a problem, the excrement. Yosef da'af, Yosef And one who adds knowledge adds uh, travails. So I, I, somehow you get older and uh, your excrement gets smellier. I don't know. Anyway, okay, I'm sure there's a truth to that, but it's interesting that the link to the Psukim. Yoko Kezaias Tzli, once he's able to eat a Kezaias, uh, uh, an olives worth of roasted meat, Shochdino a Pesach, he can be part of the group that's counted for the Korban Pesach. Ish a person according to their eating, but you have to be able to be able to eat a minimum amount. And a Pesach is eaten roasted. And roasted, you know, it takes an older, uh, you have to have more developed teeth to be able to eat roasted meat than like you have to do like soft and cooked meat. It's
1: interesting though, it says Ish,
0: Right. Well, that's true. And we don't limit it to each. That's true. Rabbi Huda Omer, only once he's able to identify food, Meaning, what does that mean? If you give him a rock, he, he looks at the rock, he throws it away. He wants a rock. But if it's a, if it's a nut, like a, like a walnut, you know, Oh, it's a walnut. He takes it. He understands that it's food and he's going to crack it open and eat it. Now, why exactly that's important for Korban Pesach, I don't know. It seems a little bit that it's a difference between eating and being fed. Right? So if you're able yourself to discern this is the food, this is not food, I throw this away, I eat this, you're the one who's doing the eating. Whereas, just because if you put it in his mouth and he can chew it and swallow it, that's more of a reality of being fed than a reality of what we would call Eating. Um, and that seems to be uh, Reb Yehuda's position. Hadronach Machu So that was a fascinating end, having um, you know all these issues of minors about the question about chinuch for the lulav, completely jumping over the yuntav uh, issue and putting the thing in water. Now we begin. So we did uh, basically the first three prakim. Two, the first two were devoted to the sukkah, one and a half to the actual physical shape of the sukkah and the last half of it to the mitzvah of taking of sitting in the sukkah similarly the third paragraph was devoted to the lulav hadas a and esrog where the most, mostly the, it was devoted to the physical qualities of it but towards the end we got to the question of the actual act of taking it um, where notice by the way it didn't mention a bracha didn't mention just holding on to it it emphasized the shaking of it and the shaking of it during halal and then it turned us into some interesting cry discussions about shemitah but again then about taking of it in shul and on and on uh, Yontif that falls out on Shabbos um, etc. Now we have the, the, thir- the fourth parak. really in a way we'll touch again on some of those themes but you'll see the way it's structured it sort of looks at all of the various that are no on Sukkot and sort of discusses them like sort of in a more collective type of a way or in a differently organized way so let's, um, let's take a look um, alright so it says the following um, let me just see one thing here the other thing okay, so it says lula the rava shisha the so Mitzvah of Lulav and the Mitzvah of Arava, we haven't even mentioned the Mitzvah of Arava. We know that we do the Hoshanas, right, with, with the Lulav. Um, it's called here the Mitzvah of Arava because although we walk around and do the Hoshanas holding the Lulav in the x robe, the center part of that ritual is the Arava part of it. So that applies six, sometimes six days, sometimes seven days of Sukkot. Um, the issue here of all of these things, which are sometimes you know, X and sometimes X minus one or X plus one is the issue of Shabbos. Where does Shabbos fall out? Okay, sometimes Shabbos falls out to take away a day and sometimes it doesn't. So, ha ba saying ha-halel and rejoicing. Now, rejoicing here specifically has the context of shlame simcha, bringing shlamim in the Beit um which is a mitzvah to bring Amba Hagim. Okay? And those apply to For all eight days of Sukkot, you are saying hallel, including Shmini Atzeret, and you are bringing um, the shlame simcha, you're bringing them also um, all eight days. Or you. Uh, Bring. Uh, we'll see in a minute, that well, we'll see soon, that you might bring it on day seven and you eat it on day eight. But anyway, those are things that are done all eight days. Uh, sukkah, okay. finisuch hamayim, sitting in the sukkah and the pouring of water that they did in the Beis HaMikdash that they did with the morning sacrifices, the only time they did this was on Sukkot, that would be um, shiva, the seven days of sukkahs. So you sit in the sukkah all seven days and you do the pouring of the water all seven days a chaliyo, the, uh, playing the playing the flute um, okay. is a Khalil a flute or is it a recorder it's a wind instrument right so, so flute okay so flute um, so what the playing is the difference? I, I don't know they're the same they're somewhat, they're somewhat <coughs> different I don't know all wind right. Alright, there's some type of a wind instrument. Anyway, the chaliyo for five is chamisha Mishisha. What does that mean? It means that this is the music that you would play to accompany the Simcha Spesar Shoeva. Now, you don't play music on Shabbos, and you don't play it on Yontif. So if you think about it, you have the seven days of Sukkot. So you start with minus one for the first day of Yontif. At most, you're going to get six and if Shabbos falls out in the middle of the week rather than anyantiv you're down to five okay so that's why that is five and six now we're going to go back and unpack the and unpack it from the beginning Lulav Shiva where do you have Lulav we said Lulav and Arava could be six or seven so we'll worry about Arava which is the first we're hearing in the Mishnah here that there's a Mitzvah of Arava but we'll worry about that in a minute let's let's first wrap up the Lulav discussion so how would Lulav be a seven day Mitzvah well obviously the seven days of Sukkot well what about Shabbos well, you'll remember, what did we just say in the last doc That if Shabbos falls out on the first day of Yantiv, they would take the Lulav on Shabbos Yantiv. So if Shabbos, not in the, Mishash, the Mishnah, the mission said that they would go ahead and they prepare it in the shoals and they'd go to the shoals and they would take it, right? You remember that Mishnah, right? Not our practice, but the Mishnah we learned yesterday says you would take Lulav on Shabbos when it fell out on the first day Yantiv. So that's how you could get all seven days taking the lulav. It would be six days if Shabbos fell out during Hamoed. During but if Shabbos fell out on Yuntiv, then you would take it all seven days. That's what we just learned. Okay, Ketzad. Yontav HaRizim Shelchad, Shechal Yos Shabbos. If the first day of Yontiv falls out on Shabbos, Shiva, you would take it on seven days. You'd even take it on Shabbos if it was the first day of Yuntiv. The Sharchol Yamin. however, if Shabbos was not on Yuntiv. If Shabbos sell out during the rest of the week, right. then, Shisha, then you, you uh, we do not take it on Shabbos Cholomoed, but you would take Lulav on Shabbos Yantar. Arava Shiva Ketzad. Now we get to this mitzvah of Arava, which for us translates as the Hoshana. Okay, so Arava Shiva Ketsad. So when, how is that done all seven days? So uh, uh, <coughs> where were we? Ravashi uh, b'kaitad. Chiyom shviy shela If the seventh day of a Ravah, what do we call the seventh day of Sukkot? Everybody.
1: <laughs>
0: seventh day of Sukkot. Hoshana Raba. Thank you. Okay. <coughs> So, if Hoshana Rabbah, if Hoshana Rabbah, which was the major day, the same way the first day of Sukkot, is the day for the primary day for Lulav, it's the day where there's a biblical mitzvah for Lulav, with the are l'cham day seven of Sukkot is the day for Arava. It's Hoshana Rabbah. So you would even do the Aravas on Shabbos if Hoshana Rabbah fell out on Shabbos. The same way you would do Lulav on Shabbos if the first day fell out on Shabbos. Okay, so a rabba shiva. So a Arav- young Yom Shri rabba Shabbos. If the seventh day of a Hashanah Hoshana Rabba, sell out on Shabbos, a shiva. You would even do it on Shabbos. The shara call yamim. But the rest of the time, if Shabbos sell out during the week, not on Hoshana Rabbah then shisha. You would not take it on Shabbos. So would you take lulav on Shabbos? Yes, if the first day was Shabbos, because that's the biblical mitzvah. Would you take a, a Ravah? Would you do a Hoshana Rabba on Shabbos? Would you do a Ravah on Shabbos? Yes, if the seventh day was Shabbos, if Hoshana Ravah was Shabbos, you would even do it on Shabbos. Okay, um, now, Mrs. Lulav Ketosh, now, although we, a minute ago, a minute ago, whatever, in the previous perech, described how they would do lulav and how they would do it on Shabbos, that they would take their stuff to the Beit Knesset ahead of time, this mission goes back and revisits that. What would be the mitzvah of the lulav? How would it take, play out? Yantar Vavishin Shechad Shechalios for Shabbos. First day, Yantar falls out on Shabbos. Okay? We just had that before. Malikhin has lulavim v'harabayis. So before, we discussed what they would do outside of the base of HaMikdash. They would bring their lulav and Esrogin to the Shul's Erev Shabbos. Here we're talking what they would do if you were planning on going to the Beit HaMikdash. And it was first day Yom Tov and Shabbos. So before Shabbos, you would bring your lulavim to the Temple Mount, the Chazanim, the Mehan, and the Chazanim, the Sextons, would take it from you. They'd be like the people that would be, you know, the, um, the um, functionaries there um, who are handling this stuff. They would take everybody's lulav and, uh, and, and uh, Esro, the whole thing. Um, the sodrino son, Agabe Itztaba. And they would place it on top of the Itztaba, the portico. So Rocky says, what does that mean? I mean, if it was on top of, like, the roof, then it would dry out in the sun. Rocky actually says it means, like, it would be on the top of the chairs that had a, like, you know, that they were sort of, that there was this courtyard in front, and there would be, like, with, like, a roof, you know, sort of on top of it, and this, they would put it on the benches that would be under, that would be under the roof. Shaded okay, so the, shaded from the sun, right. Okay, um, so, right, Rashi like says that like, was a particular, like, a uh, square, you know, like a courtyard in front, uh, you know, on Harabayas. Um, okay. So they would put it on these uh, benches, um, um, the elder people had a right to put their lulav in the special chamber. So, as we're going to see, they won't have to fight with all the masses. Okay, so knows some lomar, and you teach people to say anybody who happens to take my lulav it's, it's theirs as a gift because this goes back to the concern that you have to own your lulav and Esra now if you remember it said before then it said when it, you went to, when they put it in the show before Shabbos everybody would come on Shabbos and recognize which was theirs Okay, but a show has what? 50 people, 100 people? I mean, they didn't have huge shows like we have nowadays. But in the base of it's going to be a crazy number of people, so you can't assume you're going to find your own. So therefore, you say, I'm giving mine as a gift to whoever picks it up. Now, what would happen? Lemachah, the next morning, Shabbos morning, Mashkimumubon, people would rise up early and come. You'd want to rise up early because you'd want to beat the crowds and find your own. Now that does not seem to be a very orderly way of doing it. The chazanim would just throw the lulav down in front of all the masses. And say, here, go find your lulav. And people would grab and being hitting one another to try to get either there or probably to get the best lulav there. Okay, it would be a whole huge balladag. So, based in sakana. Once the Beisdus saw that it was leading to peoples being endangered, he said, you know what? Uh, why isn't everybody just take it at home if it falls out on Shabbos? Don't come to the Beis Hamikdash and do it. Now, of course, does it mean literally Begto? We learned in the previous mission that they would bring it to the Shoals as well. So after they made this takana not to do it on Harabayas, did they also tell people don't bring it to Shoals and just stay at home over Shabbos? You know, how does what we're learning here about what happened at the Temple Mount affect what they were doing outside of the temple, where we do not find that it got to these types of fights. It's also, also quite fascinating, A, like I said, just to wonder, like... Really? You were describing this whole beautiful procedure and it ended by saying and they threw it in front of them? Like you couldn't have figured out any more like reasonable way of organizing this process? You couldn't have done it like, like by last name? You know, you couldn't have called them up by rows? You could have done nothing? And, and you know, and again, it sort of, it reminds you of, um, you know, the whole story that we learned in Yoma, right? When they would have a race to the top of the Mishbeach of who would get to Jerusalem and and they'd pu- push people off, they'd fight. And th- but then the Sakana was that they would make like a lottery. They came up with a more organized way of doing it as opposed to just saying we're not even going to bother doing it so it's quite fascinating like what, how it led to that in the first place and then what the response was the other thing
1: them, it really didn't matter if you didn't get your own right what happened to that
0: well, I didn't say that they were fighting to find their own. Maybe they were just... Fi- A, they might have just been fighting... They might have been fighting to get the best, as opposed to get their own, number one. And number two is, they might just, it might just have been that there were too many people all at once, and everybody just pushing and shoving, you know? So... Anyway, like um, I mean, you know, you hear about people getting crushed after like rock concerts and whatever. I mean, just the mass of people. Um, But anyway, the other interesting thing that somebody asked and I don't know the answer to. Somebody must talk about it. Is why do they need to do all this? They were in Ushalaim. Ushalaim has what was a walled city, you know. So I don't understand why you couldn't just bring your thing from home. Um, Somebody must talk about that. But yes. Yes, totally. We've definitely we have found excavated, you know. Yes, Um, and certainly. First of all, even you know, not everybody lived in the environments of the temple. Could come to the temple, but you know, but even relatively close. Just because you lived near the temple didn't mean you were going there on a regular basis. Yeah, they definitely had shows. We we have we have literary and archaeological evidence of that, not bummos, except in the first place, I think. Not in the second. You know,
1: there's such a particularly in this mishnah such a emphasis on the lulav is one thing the arava is another thing
0: right but every single
1: time I see the word lulav we're assuming all four, uh,
0: four meaning, sure because right. if they had to bring it before Shabbos you had to bring everything
1: so when it you even had to bring lulav, the Esau that's
0: the funny thing right. is that it's one thing to make the brachal on and so on but you know
1: so when it says lulav those have already
0: indicated I mean the Gemara said you know that they brought an you know, well, what did it say? Did it say when it said that they were coming, it said he brought, what it says a thousand Zeus for his Lulav? What did it say? For his Esro? No, it says Lulav cost a thousand Zeus. Right. So one one is, does it mean the Lulav or does it mean the whole thing? It right. is and funny mean, that it its rogues it, aren't being mentioned right. here. In this
1: is you know, Lulav clearly means all for the whole, your, The whole path. But Aravai means just the Aravai. Exactly,
0: yeah. <laughs> that is true. All right, let's take a look at the Gemara. Amai says the Gemara, of Almahu, the Shabbos. So the Gemara says, look, it's dealing with the fact that the Mishnah is basically saying the only time you would take lulav on Shabbos is if Shabbos was on Yantiv, right? The first day Yantiv was. Shabbos was the first day Yantiv. Then we would allow. Now we don't even do that, but in the Mishnahs we've seen, that's when they would do it, when Shabbos and first day Yantiv coincided. Why couldn't you take lulav on Cholomoi Shabbos, right? What would be the deal? It's just muktzah. You're doing a mitzvah. Let the mitzvah override a muktzah concern. Maybe it even shouldn't be considered muktzah. So Gemara says let it override Shabbos even if it's Cholomohe now this gets to the issue I mentioned to you the phrase is let it override Shabbos why don't we say if the mitzvah it's not even Mokhtzah today so if you look at Tosros Joseph just has a, a line on that he says Tiltu um, Baalmah so it says Avagav mitzvah. what do you mean it's Mokhtzah if, if, if that's your only concern it shouldn't even be Mokhtzah so you're using it for a mitzvah Shaykh Bey Dein so he has that interesting discussion: Is the lulav considered to be mukta It's just you're allowed to take it because of the mitzvah, right? Or is it not fundamentally not considered to be mukta altogether? This gemara makes it sound that it's fundamentally it could be if it was just yuntiv. mukta applies on yuntiv as well. So it could be if it's just yuntiv, we don't call it mukta right? Forget Shabbos; it's the first day yuntiv. So, is my mul- lulav muktzah today? No. Maybe we could say, you know, come on, it's yantav, sukkah, it's not muktza vis-a-vis yantav. But how about vis-a-vis Shabbos? If I had this lulav on any other sh- day of Shabbos, it would be muktzah, right? If there's any other Shabbos of the year. So maybe, even on Shabbos yantav, even if we were allowed to take the lulav, it's, it's still overriding muktzah. It doesn't stop being muktzah. That's a right? fascinating issue. is the, Can you consider the lulav to be muktzah on Shabbos yantav? Uh, um, or is it fundamentally not muktzah? Okay, this Gemar sounds like it is muktzah. but it says, fine, let it be muktzah." but who cares? It's Shabbat Cholom it's a mitzvah. You should override muktzah and take your lulav. Am I tiltub It's just a problem of moving, which is the phrase for mukhtzah. Belidri Shabbos, you should still be able to take it on Cholom Oed Why not? Am a rabba, says Rabba because you're right it's not a concern of mukta, it's a concern, concern that, you'll, that it'll lead to carrying you'll pick it up you'll go to an expert to learn how to do it why do you need an expert? well maybe to teach you how to do the shaking because we discussed the shaking before and maybe just to learn how to make the bracha so you'll go to somebody to teach you about it and you'll come to carry it for Amos in Rosh robin so you're right the reason you don't do it on kholamoe um, we're going to talk about a minute why, why you would do it even why, uh, what our story is with Yagdav. But the reason you don't do it on Shabbos kolomoed is it will lead to accidental carrying. And that's a reasonable concern because we see all the previous Mishnayot talk about the steps you have to do to prevent carrying. How you bring it to the Shulah ahead of time. How you bring it to the Beit HaMiktar ahead of time. So Rabbi says, you see those concerns about carrying? That's why we don't let you do it on Shabbos kolomoed. Because it will lead to accidental carrying. The high time of the shofar, you, time of the high new time And that's the reasoning. This is presumably what the Gemara's ask, adding, why we don't blow shofar on Shabbos and why we don't read the Megillah on Shabbos because it will lead to carrying. Now this, by the way, we should take a minute out just to pause and recognize it. You know, if you've ever learned this, you'll say, why don't we blow the shofar on Shabbos? Why don't we take the lulav on Shabbos? Right? The answer is, well, we don't ask the Megillah question because it only comes up if you're living in your Shalim or in a walled city. But anyway, the answer is, oh, because we're afraid they'll come to carry it that explanation is first articulated by Rabbah in an Amora it's not in the Mishnayot the Mishnayot assume you don't do it on Shabbos, but they don't say why not Okay, it's only Rabbah that gives the reason that you might come to carry. Now, by lulav and 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 uh, and shofar, you could understand a reason independent of a concern of carrying. By by lulav, it could be a muktzah idea. Yes, it's true. We should allow it. It's a mitzvah, and so on. But you do understand that there's some idea that fundamentally is conflicting with this concept of Shabbos. And by shofar, you know, it's playing of a musical instrument. So it could be that there was, you know, it wasn't just a gezerah. One of the interesting things is that the bavli often tends to explain things based on a gezerah. We don't let you do this, unless <coughs> it come for, to do something else. Although in the mishnayot, that's often not spelled out, and it could be that things are seen more as intri- intrinsic problems rather than as a problem of where it will lead. So one could have imagined that the problem of a shofar on Shabbos or a lulav on Shabbos was not just a concern it the lead to carrying. Maybe it was just like, it's not so Shabbistic to be taking a stick. It's not so Shabbistic to be blowing a shofar. It's not appropriate for a Shabbos. Now, why would that tell me not to do a biblical mitzvah? Okay, so Rabbah tries to give a bigger concern out there. It might lead to a violation. Um, but again, it is worth noting that that concern is not spelled out. That was Rabbah. But yes, Rabbah certainly by lulav picking up on the hints of the Mishnah. Because the Mishnah does speak about bringing it to the shoah ahead of time, you get to the base. at a time we just had a discussion of Reb you accidentally carried it on Shabbos you're exempt from a Korban so we totally see in the Mishnayot the high possibility or, or concern that having it, doing it on Shabbos can lead to carrying so Rob is saying that's what's behind why we don't do it on Kolomoe. but he says that by lieu of the Gemara then extends it to shofar and Megillah, which again, A not only was not in the Mishnah, but wasn't even part of the original statement of Rabbah. So it is just worth appreciating where these ideas develop. So let's just read one more line. Ihay says to Gemara, if that's true, that it's a concern that you'll come to carry it and you don't do it on Shabbos, you Rishonami. Nami. So we shouldn't even do it when the first day unto Shabbos you'll come to carry it. He says, no, we showed how to No, we're not afraid you'll carry it carry it on the first day. Because after the Takana, we told everybody to keep it to, to take rule of it home. So we, you're told you have to take it at home. So nobody's gonna come to carry it. So the Gemara says, one minute. The Gemara says, Takana Mai, Michael amaymar.' but fine. That's after the that whole big thing happened in the Basamincades and they said to do it at home. But, it was, but before that happened, they were still okay with people taking it on the first day. right? The, generally, it was very clear. They always would take it on the first day. At a certain stage, because of fighting in the Bezah Mitzah, they said, do it at home. But how did it start that you let people take it on the first day? And, and you know, we learned the previous mission, they would bring it to the shore ahead of time. Clearly, you're not taking it at home. Why are we allowing it on the first day and not concerned about the Shabbos concern that Rabbah says? So the Gemara says... And so the Gemara says like this: Ella to isam big bigvulin. The first day, which is biblical, not only in the base hamikdash, but all places, lo They let you still take it on the first day. They weren't going to override the biblical mitzvah. hanach the other days, the less new Big bigvulin, that they don't, they're not biblical out of the base hamikdash. they did not let you take it on Shabbos, even in the base hamikdash. Although in the base of HaMikdash it's biblical for all seven days, the other days are weaker. They're only on HaMikdash mitzvahs. They're not mitzvahs for everybody. So on Chol Moed, you can't take it on Shabbos even in the Beis HaMikdash because even though it's biblical because it's only the rest of the days, it's not biblical elsewhere but the first day which ever, for everyone is biblical there they continue to allow you to take it on the first day so we will continue with this tomorrow but the remain, where we are right now is you can take there's a concern of Shabbos carrying don't do Lulav on Shabbos but you can do it on the first day which is biblical everywhere that you can do it the other days you can't do it even in the base of mixers but the first day we're going to, that, the, the biblical myth is going to override the concern that it might lead to carrying so the question we obviously have to ask is so why don't we do it on the first day and, not, what, and why is chauffeur different shofar is always biblical on the first day why, why, why was chauffeur not also prohibited you know why was shofar prohibited on the first day and not lula? So all of that, come back tomorrow. I'll leave you with a cliffhanger. (laughs)